Hello and welcome to another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thank you so much for listening. This is where I have conversations with people who are living life on their own terms. We dive into those big moments that have pushed them through the fears and self-limiting beliefs that hold so many of us back. Krista O'Reilly Davy DeGee is the beautiful writer behind the website, A Life in Progress. I admire Krista as her writing is so honest on both sides of the coin. Krista rips down the curtains and bears the beauty in the rawness in a way that is comforting and helpful to others. We go quite deep in this episode as Krista opens up about attempting suicide three times before she was 18 and then deciding to choose to live life over death. Krista shares stories about how joy and pain can coexist and how you don't find joy by trying to eliminate pain. How she has realized the beautifulness in the messy and not striving for perfection and learning to forgive herself by showing up each day with compassion and love. Our conversation takes a wonderful turn when we start discussing parenting, how each child is unique in many different ways, and the importance of understanding ourselves when parenting with compassion and curiosity. Krista said something that really resonated with me. Be a student of your children. That as parents, we need to learn about and understand our children's needs, personality, how they learn, so we can tailor our parenting style to suit them so they can flourish and grow. Krista has battled her way through many moments, but she really is a beautiful life in progress. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Krista O'Reilly, Davy DeGee. Hi, Krista. How are you? I am excited to chat with you. That is so good to hear. And whereabouts in this beautiful world do I find you today? Oh, I live in central Alberta in Canada. So I've never been to Canada. It's definitely on my list to get there. So touch wood one day. One day I will be in your beautiful home country. Well, maybe we can do a home exchange because I really want to get to Australia. <laughs> well, hey, you never know. You never know about that. As I'm sure you, uh, you're you aware, my wife and I kind of packed everything up and, and were house and pet sitting our way through North America for a year. So a, uh, a house exchange could um, could definitely be on the card. So that might be something we need to, we need to chat about uh, off air. Sure. Yep. <laughs> but... Um, uh, you are the beautiful writer behind the site, A Life in Progress, and I really do encourage people to, to check out your site as your writings, your thoughts are so fresh and honest. But um, to kick us off here today, Krista, could you please give everyone a bit of your background and how A Life in Progress came about? Sure. I mean, I don't know in terms of background, how far back you want me to go, because I'm actually a homeschooling mama, and I uh, spent a lot of time at home raising kids and homeschooling and uh, walking through some hard stuff. And um, I went back to school when I turned 40 and uh, studied in holistic nutrition and kind of delved deeper into holistic health. Um, and interestingly, I was walking through one of the hardest times of my life as I was studying. 
And studying again did not make any sense, not practically, not in terms of energy or finances, but it was like a lifeline for me and it helped me hold on tight through a time that I I was drowning and I didn't know if I wanted to come back up again. Got you. And are you able to kind of talk about that time of of drowning and kind of using study as a bit of a lifeline? Well, um, yeah, so... I was, um, so what was going on in my life, we had buried, my dad was dying, we'd already buried my mom of cancer, and he was dying, I was awaiting a hip replacement, so um, I had a disease in my hip, and I was just waiting until my kids were old enough, anyways, I was in just horrible pain, we ended up burying not just my dad, but three family members that year, I was homeschooling, studying, completely overwhelmed, and I I didn't know yet that I had an autoimmune disease, I had a... um, Hashimoto's and I I was struggling just like really badly in so many ways and if people don't know what that is they can google it and get a sense of all the symptoms but um and so because I was studying it just what it did is make me keep advocating for myself mm-hmm. it helped me just do the next right thing and the next right thing instead of giving up got you and you, you touched on homeschooling there and and it seems to be bigger in the US and Canada than I think it is here in Australia. Like when we were traveling, there are lots of people that we kind of met that were homeschooling their kids. Where in Australia, I don't, I think I know of one um, family that is doing that. How was that? Like such a huge responsibility. Um, but then also, like, kind of being able to learn those skills whilst you're teaching, I'm gathering. Like, how. You know, I guess, how did that process kind of take place? And, and maybe starting off, like, why you decided to do homeschooling? Ooh, sure. Nobody's asked me that. Um, well, my, so I did six years in university to be a teacher. And my husband is also a teacher. And um, when I, so two teachers in a family, I don't think is super joyful. It's too busy. There are too many ec- outer, um, like, expectations. So you're marking, you're, you're forced to help with all these extracurriculars. And, and I realized when we were both just finishing up university that that would be a miserable life for us because we wouldn't be home to raise our own babies. Um, so now, I mean, maybe there are other couples for whom it has worked well, but the life that we were seeking, that didn't feel like a great fit. So, um, so that kind of planted a seed but we moved from a city to a really small town. There are about 10,000 people, and it was very homogenous at the time. So my husband is West African. Our children are, they identify as black. And we moved into a town where there was like one other black person, maybe two. There might have been two at the time. So it was a very homogenous town. And... Um, my kids sometimes had other children like say mean things to them and stuff about their, they, you know, just like little kid things, but they just thought they were funny looking and they would say these things out loud. And I just thought, oh my God, like I am not putting my children, exposing my children to that level of, I mean, I feel bad saying ignorance because they were just little, but they didn't have any adults in their life, obviously teaching them about diversity or the beauty of different colors and all of that. So that was also a motivator. And so, um, and then there was a third thing that was simply that I love to learn. And I selfishly, I wanted to be the one to teach my child how to speak French and how to write essays and how to do fractions and how to learn to read. 
Um, so there were a lot of different seeds or roots of that. And it was marvelous. Like I loved it. It felt like a totally natural progression for me. And um, it was a very positive experience. Like I just loved it. And my children, so my children went in high school, they would transition in and then they're one is out of university already and one is in university. They're very academic. But you know what? We got a chance to really discuss fabulous ideas, to um, learn about art together, to um, read great books together. And I just wouldn't trade that for anything, that experience. Yeah, it, it, it sounds wonderful. And it's interesting that you talk about, you know, having two teachers in the family um, and all the extra work that you want to do and not being home with your own kids. I'm not a teacher myself, but I absolutely love being around kids and, and interacting with kids. And so I do a lot of things with kids. Um, but being not being a teacher, that means I'm actually doing them outside of school times. So I am often kind of juggling with this, okay, sh you know, if I'm working with kids or helping some kids, it kind of means that I'm actually giving up the time being with my own child. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a uh, it's an interesting conundrum. But um, as I mentioned before, I I love your writings and they are so honest, kind of on like both sides of the coin. As you really rip down the curtains and and bear the the beauty in the rawness and in a way that's both comforting and and helpful to people. Um, so I kind of I have a feeling that we we might go a little bit deep here today. And you wrote something where it was about that you learnt that joy. And pain can coexist, uh, can coexist, and that life does not have to be perfect to be beautiful, and that you also learn to forgive yourself for your struggles and imperfections, and realize that you have the strength and resilience to rise above. And that there's so much in those few sentences that I that I'd love to unpack. But I guess to start off, like, do you find that people and you know and yourself sometimes search for joy? by trying to eliminate pain? Oh, yes. That, first of all, Mike, I want to say thank you for just saying that you appreciate my writing. Um, thank you so much. And absolutely. And what that is a fabulous question. And I was a perfect avoider. I spent most of my life trying to run from pain and using all sorts of different methods to do that or to attempt to do that, um, to almost try to create a safe world, a safe bubble, because I did not believe that I could handle pain or the reality. Um, so I don't know if you want to chat about that a bit. Most definitely. So I, from a young, a little girl, I remember carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders. I don't know why I came into the world that way, but I was very aware of pain and very aware of suffering and my inability to make it better. Um, I, as a teenager, I tried to kill myself three times and it's not that I wasn't safe. I never experienced trauma. I didn't have anything bad happen to me. I just felt unqualified or incapable of doing life it felt hard and heavy and when I was 18 and and my third suicide attempt failed I, I remember thinking to myself I can't do this again I have to find a way to live and and I and I but I didn't know how yet right so the next 20 years of my life were all about finding a way to live 
but in my case, what that looked like was running from one numbing agent to another. And so things like I was a binge eater. Um, at one point, I stopped eating. Um, I was like totally OCD, like in my home, like just obsessive, like about perfection and order. Like I had to vacuum every day. I would panic when something was out of place. Um, I just tried so many ways, but of course, none of it worked. And then I would try to heal. And so I would let go of one thing, but all I would do is tip into another method because I hadn't yet addressed the roots of my fear. I was so afraid. And I also didn't know. I'm very proud of myself. I want to say this because if somebody's listening, I felt like such a failure throughout my whole life. And I still struggle today, but I am so proud of myself because what I was doing was fighting for life. I wasn't giving up. And so even though I could beat myself up and say, but all you did is run from this thing to that thing, but I was fighting. Mm. And that's important to acknowledge. Most definitely. It's, um, wow. I said we'd go deep and we definitely have, haven't we? Um, so, but like, like with that, like as a, you know, as an 18 year old and having, you know, three attempts at, at taking your life, it must've been quite a hard step to, to have that realization to go, you know what? I, I, I can't try to die anymore. I need to start trying to live. How, how did that big step take place? Um, well, do you mean that decision? Yeah, like making that decision, kind of going, you know what, this, what I'm doing right now is not the best thing to be doing, to be able to kind of take that, make that decision, take that step to, to choose life. Um, first of all, it didn't feel like a big step. I, I was kind of numb. I think I've gone through a lot of my life numbed out, and, and it's not that I haven't wanted to die since then, because I have. And I, I don't like saying that out loud, um, but it's true. There have been times where I wished I could just disappear. So I don't see that as sort of this big step. I felt it, it was just sort of out of desperation. It was just like, well, this isn't working. So what's next? Like, it, that's all. I was kind of numb. I didn't. I hate, you know what, Mike, it's actually really hard because I have so much grief and compassion for this person who just didn't understand that she had value and that it was okay that, you know, to, to not, like, I just felt so broken and I, and I wish I could impart some grace, you know, to my, to my former self. So yeah, it wasn't this big sort of aha moment. It was more just well, this isn't working. It hurts a lot to try and wake up again. And, and so I'm going to have to figure something else out. That's mm. all it was. <laughs> and you talk about, you know, figuring that something else out or, you know, adding value in, into your life. And I guess to you, you also kind of came to realize the beautifulness in the messy and, and not being perfect. And I think that is something that many, many people, but especially parents kind of struggle with that, that notion of, of, wow, I'm not perfect and I'm, or I'm not succeeding in this part of my life. And, you know, I'm failing over there. How did you slowly come around to that realization, like come around to understanding that things don't need to be perfect. And, and I guess, or adding that that value back into that mm -hmm. that life 
Well, I mean, first of all, I, this is such a loaded question, right? Like I got my, I wanted to be a mom and I, I have these three beautiful children and I lost my mom about 15 years ago. My mom died of cancer when she was 53 and she was my best friend. And that was rough. She was the one person in the world that I felt assured that she actually liked me. Um, not just loved me because, you know, that's what parents do or whatever, but she saw me for who I was and she genuinely liked me. So losing her was hard on that level. And also because, you know, I grieved for my family, but, um, interestingly when my mom died that was one of the bigger turning points I was 30 ish then maybe 30 or 33 I'm not sure and she so I thought about how my mom made me feel and how she made my siblings feel and how imperfect she was and so that helped me because I saw oh look at that we adored her and she made us feel so loved and yet she was very imperfect as a person, you know, I could see that too. And so also there was this drive in me that I couldn't keep, like I was struggling so much as I was parenting that I just realized my kids need to know how much I like them and that I delight in them. And so that, that was a huge motivator for me um, to, well, I don't even remember the question, but that was a huge, that was a turning point. Yeah. in realizing that, oh, perfection isn't required. It was also around that time though, that it was the first time to tell you the truth that I learned that I had struggled with low grade depression my whole life. Um, I, I read something or heard something and all of a sudden I realized, oh, that's what I have. And I hadn't, nobody had told me that before. I didn't have words for it. I just thought that's, you know, something's wrong with me. I don't know why I can't, you know, but also I masked very well. Right. So like, it would really annoy me that other people would just say, Oh, you're so organized. You're so this. I'm like, yeah, you don't understand the Mm -hmm. obsessiveness or the what's happening in my head. Or, you know, when I stopped eating, okay, like this is a tangent, but I'm going to say it. People just talked about, Oh, you look so good. Cause I'd like dropped all this weight. I'm like, I literally had stopped eating. I had disordered eating. And I was felt like I was dying inside. And all people saw was you look good in your Levi's. <laughs> so I'm like, so this is partly why I'm so driven to write about things honestly, because I'm like, guys, what if we stop looking at the appearance of people and we start asking them how they really are, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, okay, so that was so that was the turning point, and I'm going to let you jump in right now. <laughs> no, it's interesting though because you, you talk there about you know those struggles and and those imperfections, and obviously you know it comes to a, a lot of how you feel about yourself and 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 whether there is a, a clinical condition for that or, or, or not. But you also spoke in in your writing about needing needing to forgive yourself, which I know would not be the easiest of things to do but how did you go through that process of of being able to forgive yourself well I feel like it's so multi-pronged and it's not a quick fix so I want to be completely honest because it's been a real journey of like layer after layer so oh my gosh like we could talk for hours um I think I'll just sort of randomly mention a 
a couple different points. But I remember after the birth of my third child 12 years ago that I made the decision. I was holding her in my arms and I made the decision. I was going to love myself. And just like that decision when I was 18 about I'm going to find a way to live, I didn't actually know what that would look like, right? And it was not just an overnight thing. It was a daily practice of showing up and doing the work. And there have been times where I have been in despair thinking, I'll never change. I'll never overcome this. Um, But when we show up, when we offer ourselves incredible compassion and we show up every day and we just practice, all of a sudden one day we realize, look how far I've come. You know, I'm still this imperfect being, but now, see, I would never strive for perfection anyway. Um, So literally, I made a decision one day. And what that meant for me was no more body shaming, no more dieting, no more addiction. And it doesn't mean I haven't struggled with addiction, but it means I will not tolerate it in my life. So I, I went off wine. I quit wine just two summers ago because I realized that I was falling back into an addictive pattern. I was because wine was very effective at calming anxiety, as it turns out. And I was no longer just having one drink. I was wanting to hide with the entire bottle. And so I had to let that go. So it's like that's fairly recent rates. But what what it means is I will show up every day and I will practice compassion and I will speak to myself with kindness and I will pick myself up when I fall and I will not shame myself for struggling. Um, I will love myself by, you know, even the foods that I eat that support mental wellness and just like it's just so many things. Mm. It's interesting too, you, you spoke there about like showing up each day and and through the middle of it all, you might not feel that you're making any progress, but then one day when you you actually take the time to look back and then that's where you can actually see how far mm-hmm. you've come because I think so often we get we get stuck in that kind of the slugginess of, of, of just day to day, feeling that we're not growing, but then we never take the time to actually you know, kind of baking this in the, in the sun and go, wow, this is, this is really how far we've come. Yeah. I think that's really important. Like mostly I do think like mindfulness and staying present is important, but there is value sometimes in looking back. And, and I, I kind of think about it in terms of parenting. So when you're in the thick of little people and they're, you know, you're not sleeping well and you're exhausted, it's really hard for you to believe that one day you're going to sleep again but now I have these bigger kids and they are fascinating people and it is amazing. And I get to look back and I get to see even in terms of my parenting, right, where we can be hard on ourselves. And I get to look back and say, oh, but Krista, look at all the ways that you showed up. Look at all the great things you did, even though your kids also witnessed you struggle. Um, look at how you really did get to sleep again. You know, all of that, that gift of perspective certainly helps motivate and um And I think it's hard for people when they're in the thick of it to hear those words from somebody else. So all I can say is hold on. And you you talked there about parenting and and I guess through the things that you've learned, discovered and changed about yourself, has that altered the way that you talk with or you parent your children? Yes, it sure has. So, um, 
you know, one of the big things was that as I was learning to love myself, I was learning to parent. And so what that meant is I was also learning to say, I'm sorry. I was also learning to hold, um, well, I was, I mean, oh, I'm going to tell the truth. So very, very recently, I apologized to my oldest child, my son, about all my perfectionism and, and how he bore the brunt of a lot of that. So it got better with my kids. I have, you know, as I was healing, I was able to freak out less about things or to hold, you know, show up with less judgment, more curiosity, to just really genuinely delight in these people. Um, I, I talk a lot about mental wellness with them. It's important to me that they understand that they can talk to me about absolutely anything. Um, there, we won't shame each other. And if I don't know the answers, I will do what I can to find help for them. Um, I think they've seen me not only struggle, but also advocate for myself. My son told me recently that he respects me. And for a 21-year-old young man to tell his mama that, like, that matters. Um, he sees me doing hard things. And, and part of doing hard things for me means I, I, I love myself. I appreciate my gifts. I see my weaknesses. So we bring a lot of humor in. I'm a big personality geek. So I love the Enneagram. And so I talk about all of this with my children to help them deepen self-awareness, to help understand their own motivations, their own triggers. So we get to just have a lot of really good conversation. Um, and and yeah, I think it matters. And I think that my kids are seeing that. And I, I think it's powerful. Mm. You, you, you mentioned there about parenting with compassion and curiosity. Are there things that you that you did to cultivate that? Well, I mean, I'll rephrase that question. Okay, um, Krista, I want to parent with curiosity and compassion. How do you think I should go about that? Hmm. Well, okay. So I'm a questioner by nature. And so I when I so understand, I. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> to, then to, to, to my wife's disgust. <laughs> well, I'm raising a bunch of questioners. So I, so the way I, what happens to me is if I can try to figure out why, why do people act that way? What's going on? How do they tick? Then it's easier for me to shop with compassion. So I think become a student of your child watch them, observe them. I'm a huge fan of figuring out their learning style, their personality type, their love language, gather information. And as you become a student of your child, you start to, I think there's delight. That's where the curiosity is. And you start to understand, oh, they're not doing that to annoy me. That's part of who they are. Um, there's this element of, like realization that our greatest strengths are very are typically the flip side of our greatest weaknesses and we cannot disentangle them or we destroy the person and I don't want to change who my children are at the core because they are amazing but if I can understand them better then I can show up and I can not only offer compassion I can cheer them on mm. um, so I think in a very practical sense being a student of our children like I mentioned um, I also think it's very important that when to understand that when we do the inner work, 
when we practice loving ourselves and offering compassion to ourselves and deepening our own self-awareness, that automatically trickles over into our relationships. And you speak there about, you know, some personality tests and understanding that um, our kids aren't there to annoy us. That's just part of who they are. That might be a particular thing. Were, were there any, um, like, particular tests that, that you did with your kids or certain questionnaires or courses that you kind of went through to, to determine what personality arc they are? Yes. Um, so some of them, we, I, so I, so first, first of all, there's like this quiz you can do online about love languages, the four love languages. And that's something that is very helpful at what it, are you familiar with that? Yeah, I am. Okay. So that's just one little, but definitely talk about it. Okay. So all the idea behind that is simply how do we give and receive love? So sometimes we feel like we're doing our utmost to make our child feel loved or a partner and they're not receiving it because they, so I'll give you an example. If somebody is a gift giver and that's the way they feel loved, they'll, they'll try to buy you gifts to show love. But if my love language is words of affirmation and I'm never getting those words of affirmation I crave, but you're always buying me stuff that I don't want, there's a disconnect. So this is just one tiny, tiny tool that can increase um kind of just more understanding that's just really light so over the years yes i've done a ton of things because i was a homeschooler too Mm. i did a lot of things around um learning styles even but but let's i'm just going to fast forward even things like myers briggs can be super interesting my 17 year old daughter is a big personality geek like me and this is fascinating so for anybody who's familiar my daughter and i are so different she's an intp and i'm an isfj she like the way she sees the world is foreign to me and understanding even Myers-Briggs opened up my, it just was fascinating to me and helped me really engage with her on a different level and particularly infuse our relationship with more humor. Um, and I'll just quickly say why, because I'm a very linear person who wants order and she is this, she's very mathematical, but also a an explosion of creative mess. And so we would butt heads a lot. So um, my favorite though, is the Enneagram. And if people want, okay, so I'm going to give people two quizzes. If you want to know your Myers-Briggs, you can go to 16personalities.com and then just go to Pinterest. Once you find out your Myers-Briggs, go to Pinterest and just have fun kind of pinning, you know, finding um, information about it. The Enneagram, if you would like to take an online quiz, you can go to typologypodcast.com, click on the bolded word Enneagram. Um, I, this is something that you, it takes more time to understand, but it is the best resource I could suggest to anyone. If you want to better understand yourself, how you show up in the world, all your layers of self-protection, and also how to support your children. However, that is best for kids. Um, the sort of the experts say that before about 17, it's, you don't want to type somebody else. It's about a personal journey. And so you want to be aware of typing them. So when they're a teenager, they can, you can invite them to kind of discover for themselves and then kind of have all that conversation. But it's very helpful if you are already fairly self-aware. And, and so 
just kind of digging a bit deeper on these here. So they're great if you if you have, say, teenage kids. But are there things for, like if you've got some kids in, in primary school, so let's say from five to ten years of age, and not that we want to label kids or, or, or box kids and go, okay, that's who you are and that's the only way that I'm going to kind of communicate with you. But are there certain, are there other ones that we can do on, younger kids to kind of determine, okay, A, maybe the way that they learn or B, their personality so we can kind of interact with them in different ways? Um, well, I don't recall the names of any learning style quizzes that I did online with my kids, but they do exist because I have done them. A lot of my work back then was either through books because the internet wasn't actually a thing in the beginning. Um, so I can't really point you in the correct direction there, but like even a couple things would be to start to notice, like help them identify their own passions, their own strengths. We can talk about our weaknesses in quotation marks. Um, I did that with my kids when they were really young too. So I want to give you an example. So let's say they're in school already and somebody is, you know, they love to write stories, but they aren't great spellers. And I have kids who are, again, highly academic, and they're horrible spellers. So even that, that could be a shame point. And so when we just start observing these things and chatting about them, what it does is remove shame. And it also encourages them to say, well, hey, what are you passionate about? And what do you what do you think you're really good at? And I don't know, so that it's like a big conversation. But um, I think even just these small little ways where it's not really about using a quiz, it's more just about the general conversation and making space and freedom for us to all be different, you know? And like one of the things I saw, even in terms of introversion, extroversion, is some parents, like say extroverted parents, think something is wrong with their introverted children. And they will try to force them out of that mold because they think, oh, they should socialize more. They should be different. I feel like that's super dishonoring because I'm a really strong introvert. And I'm like, I'm not broken, guys. Like, I'm gifted. This is part of my gifting. This shows up in different ways. And I think just sort of stepping back and not trying to make kids be a certain way, but instead, you know, like I, I come... I guess I'm coming back to the idea of you be a student of your children. I think that's your job. It isn't to mold them. It's to actually you show up and be a student and mm. watch them unfold. So, Nah, great advice there. I absolutely love that. And I think too, just understanding yourself um, enables you to just, oh, I was going to say enables you to understand yourself more, obviously, but like it, it, it just, it, you feel a, a lot more grounded. Um, and I, and I know, kind of going into some of my own self journey and then flipping that over to Inga and then understanding certain things about her, you know, Inga is very much an introvert and I'm very much an extrovert. And, you know, sometimes we just don't understand each other and sometimes we can then approach the other person in a particular way, knowing how the other person is. And sometimes we just got to go, well, hold on. You're, you're from another planet today. I, I don't get it, but, but it, it's, it's vice versa. I'm sure. But um, changing topics here a little bit, you you also live a, a slower and, and and simpler life. You know how has has that affected the way that you, I guess, have moved through life, and how did you slow down and simplify your life? 
Um, well, I think I've been on a slower path my whole life. Um, I think because I've just always known I'm somebody who needs a lot of time for solitude, a lot of time for puttering and thinking. Um, I get zapped really quickly, my energy drained very quickly, um, interacting with people. So I, I have a tremendous compassion for people. And I think I am a highly sensitive person. So when I'm not respecting that and understanding that it is not a happy, healthy thing for me to constantly be around people. Um, I kind of crumble. So yeah, I, I actually think that I've never really been on a fast pace. Um, so I think, so I think this is my nature. Now my partner, my husband, he he just is so supportive and respectful and he always wanted a quieter life. Like he always, he, we made these joint decisions. So because he also just wanted there to be like calm and peace in our home. And one of the ways that we figured we could do that was that, you know, I would be, somebody would always be caring for the kids because he knew that he was going to be his, the nature of his work, he would be gone a lot, that somebody was going to be making real meals and that we'd be sitting down as a family. And he oh, he always wanted that too. Um, he always wanted babies. And so, and he growing, I guess this is neat too. He grew up in West Africa. And so we, you know, breastfeeding and sleep sharing and baby wearing and all of these things that I grew up with, with kind of a hippie-esque mom, um, he grew up with too. That was sort of the cultural thing. And so we were always kind of on the same page in that regard. Um so, yeah, I guess we haven't, it's not that we've had to necessarily make drastic changes. It's been a very slow, deliberate, um, you know, one choice after another. Well, so the um, the road to slow living should be slow, not fast. Ah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, well, that's a good point. But I have people write me and they say, you know, by the world standards, they are, they have everything, right? Mm. Um, and And they're so unhappy. And they want to change course, but it, they feel trapped now. And so I, I feel for them, right? Uh, that, that is rough. And I do think there are some people whose stories include a very abrupt, drastic change. Mm. But I want to point out our choices were very, very deliberate. And we have made sacrifices along the way, you know, financial sacrifices or whatever. And even now, even though I'm working now, I only work part time that's very deliberate. And sometimes it's hard because I see, oh, if I would put in more time, you know, I could do these other things and whatever. But it's not what I want. I, I just, I want time to putter. I want breathing room. I want to think. Like mm. for me, a life without space to just like think about things and turn them over. Oh, that just doesn't sound fun. Yeah. Completely agree there, Krista. But I have one final question for you today, and it is one that I ask all of my guests, and that's if you could please describe your perfect day. My perfect day would involve getting up um, early-ish, grabbing a coffee, and my husband walking hand-in-hand to a farmer's market and buying, loading up on beautiful fresh veggies and stuff, coming home and making a really simple lunch, and then parting ways for several hours so I could go write or do something, you know, about my work. Um, and then my kids coming home and having a supper with us and us laughing and talking around the table, maybe going out for a walk together. 
and then crawling into bed in the evening where I have some time to just cuddle beside my husband and read a good book. Happy days. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to know that you're a fan of the farmer's market. It's a... Uh, they're, they're always a, a beautiful excursion out with the family. But I just want to thank you so much, Krista, for, for coming on the podcast today and, and really opening up on so many levels about your life and you know the, the great little things that you've done to, to improve your life that I know will help many, many people listening. But if people do want to reach out, learn a little bit more about you or, or maybe even have a few questions, what's the best way for them to do that? If you come over to a alifeinprogress.ca, um, you will, obviously, I'd love for you to come read. There is a free course you can get. So a 30 Days to Greater Calm mini course, you can get that for free. You can email me at alifeinprogress at outlook.com. So to basically just go to my website and you'll figure out how to connect with me. Um, yeah, I think that's the best, the best way. Beautiful. I will make sure I link to all of that at, in the show notes at liveimmediately.com and also link to um, the 30-day the free course that you've got there. So that's beautiful. Um, uh, is there anything else that I've, I've missed out here? I know we kind of bounced around a little bit here today, but is there anything that you'd like to say before we part our ways? You know, I think I, I would love to speak to anybody who is really struggling. So struggling with anxiety, with self-worth, with just feeling too broken or never enough. Um, I, I would want you to hear simply that you're not alone. That is the truth of the matter. You are absolutely not alone. And I want you to reach out and um, you even come hang out over in a life in progress and lurk for a while to see that there are a lot of people showing up and saying me too. And you know, it's okay that we just show up and do our best and we practice every day and perfection is not required. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Krista. Um, and please, if, if you do want to reach out, make sure you um, reach out to Krista because I know that she could, she could help you in, in many ways. But thanks again, Krista, and thank you everybody for listening. And until next time, have fun and live immediately. That was another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thanks so much for listening. The original Live Immediately theme music is by the multi-talented Timothy McPhee. You can check out his music at firekites.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed the show, had some fun, and maybe even learned something, then make sure you subscribe via iTunes. And while you're there, why not leave a rating and a review? You know it's going to make my day. Thanks for stopping by and giving me some of your time today. I'll catch you on the next episode. And until then, have fun and live immediately.